Welcome back to Muse to the Pharaoh, a Prince podcast from a female perspective. I am your host, Darlene Nisi. As I've mentioned, we like to focus on some of the lesser talked about topics in the Prince fandom. So far, we've had some discussion on some of the emotional or life-changing impacts Prince's transition has had in our lives. We've done a bootleg retrospective for the year 2000 on to shine a light on his live performances and work from that time. And in our last episode, we had the first of the Auntie series talking to ladies who'd worked at First Avenue in the early early to mid-80s and their experience in watching Prince's Star Rise. Today, though, we're going to talk about a topic that sometimes becomes heated in the fandom in defense of Tony M and Prince's adventures in rap. (laughs) Joining me today as a fellow Tony M purple rap apologist is Erica from the Tumblr crew. Hi. (laughs) Okay, are you ready for this? We've been talking about it for a while, and I'm pretty excited to go to the mat for Tony M. I'm super ready. (laughs) (laughs) Excellent. I should know that this is not meant to be an exhaustive study in purple rap, but more just a conversation that we hope will kind of pique your interest and in, to revisit some of these songs that um, he was working on during this time. Because Eric and I talk about this all the time. We're like, why don't they like this song? This song is amazing. People need to understand. So that said, Erica, please begin your opening argument for why Prince rap should be reconsidered. Well, <laughs> um, so I frequently hear people say uh, pr- judging Prince pretty harshly for his rap efforts, and he ends up being panned as a bad rapper. But I don't think that's true. Um, he famously did not make music that fell into any one genre or sounded like what anybody else was doing at any given time. And the only reason, if you listen to his catalog, the only reason you can really date the 80s stuff to the 80s is because he created a sound so strong that everybody else in the 80s tried to sound like him. So you could say, oh yeah, that's that's the 80s because that was the trend that he created himself. And so by the time everybody else caught up to him, he had moved on to something else. Which in this case was, you know, Diamonds and Pearls and and a fuller band sound um, for the 90s. Um, So anyway, when it comes to rap, given that, he's not going to follow the emerging gangster rap trends, anything like that stylistically or lyrically. And I think it's really unfair to compare him to um, the people who are really big at the time. Um, As with everything else he did, Prince had a style all his own. Uh, both stylistically and the content that he chose to incorporate. Also, I would like to bring up when people talk about Diamonds and Pearls and saying, oh, I don't like the rap on it. It was good. But the rap, this is a world where do the Bartman was a thing. (laughs) (laughs) So it's not like it's like like rap was just different at the time. There's not Kendrick Lamar or whatever. You know, there's no chance the rapper in 1990, 1991. I mean, parents don't just don't understand was a chart topper. (laughs) So and if you listen to like one of my personal favorite jock jams, I Got the Power, it sounds like Tony M. So that kind of stuff could really fit in with what was going on in the time. Prince just was a little bit of diff- it was a little bit different. Um, but yeah, that's that's my opening argument. Yeah, I mean, I'm glad you said that because for me, of course, I knew about Prince before then, but I always talk about my conscious knowing of Prince being diamonds and pearls. And of course, you heard like Purple Rain and Adore on like Delilah or Quiet Storm radio stations. But um, I think, like you said, Prince never really associated, or at least I never associate him to a specific genre of music. It's just Prince music. And so I didn't have expectations for what it should sound like. And then, of course, 
I was really young during the early 90s and um, I randomly did listen to a lot of rap because <laughs> I mostly just listened to the R&B and hip hop stations format. So NWA, 88, like you, like you said, Will Smith and Jazzy Jeff and all of them. And then later when like Tupac starts to come in and even him at the beginning, he wasn't like in the gangster stuff. He's writing songs about his mom. And then you had like the West Coast rap, like Dove Shack and Warren G and all those guys. And you had Biggie and Dre later who, you know, the gangster stuff started to come heavy. But even then it was like, there's a whole plethora of different types of rap within rap. So if Prince was coming through and it has like a rap-like sound, I'm not gonna be like, oh, it doesn't sound like it's supposed to. It's like, okay, Prince is doing Prince. Sounds like rap. I'm gonna take it right. for what it is rather than trying to say it should sound like something else. He's gonna rap it away that's authentic to Prince. Right. And especially since, you know, <laughs> the West Coast stuff was really funky anyway. They were using a lot of samples uh, of Parliament and all those guys. And like, Snoop oh, was a huge fan of the time and um, even sampled some of his work. And I think even recently he did a song with Morris Day, which was interesting. But anyway, <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's not it's not a far reach, I guess. I, I know at least talking to some older people people older than us not to say anyone's <laughs> old but when they when they were heavy into rap back then too even from earlier in the 80s and they heard prince starting to do it they're like well man I, if prince is rapping like that well, why didn't he get you know like real rappers or i could rap better than tony m but i'm like but he didn't choose you like you said he chose someone right. else because he wanted a different take on it Right. Well, there's actually there's a great uh, quote from from Levi where he talks about Prince and rapping and Tony M contributing to Diamonds and Pearls. Mm -hmm. um, it's from the uh, it's from the Wax Poetic Prince issue. And he was like what he had to say on it was uh, what the critics don't know is that even if Prince would have had a really super dope rapper or whatever, whoever was hot at the time, Prince would not have let them do what they normally did because mm -hmm. Prince wasn't interested in rap the way it was. Prince was like, I'm going to explore some different topics and I need to add the musicality to it as well. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. And he talks about like we were playing the harps and the strings and things that come in and you couldn't just pick a subject that doesn't fit with the music like the things that he was rapping about like on diamonds and pearls is like live for love and yeah, <laughs> money yeah. don't matter tonight there's really kind of it's it's not what say nwa was right. rapping about right. um maybe some of the issues overlap but it wasn't in in the same style so right. but prince's whole thing was we're trying to write music for the history of music not just for like a time period right so exactly. he's not gonna let anybody come out and start rapping about like bitches and hoes mm -hmm. i mean yeah he's gonna stay consistent with the things that are that he's passionate about <laughs> right and on that note let's move on to a one robin power which i'm very All excited to talk right. <laughs> <laughs> so um Last year, or I sometimes do these unsung hero spotlights on my Tumblr to talk about some of the people that often don't get talked about in the story of Prince. And so I did like a whole day on Robin Power. Of course, most people know her from Graffiti Bridge and um, she was Morris's girlfriend. Um, there's this one part where she's seducing him and she does number one. So actually he was or prince was supposed to cut a whole album on her and again it's real music by real musicians so her band was robin power and the uptown dames and all the band members were women they played their own instruments 
they were pretty tough. I mean, not tough, but you know, like they were good musicians. Um, I remember going down a, a rabbit hole on the org one day because they had people <laughs> from the band in there talking about their experiences and um, little T. Yeah. <laughs> and like Prince would show up at their practices and just like drop in with them, like jam with them and leave. But you know, he respected them as musicians or else, you know, he, they wouldn't be on the Paisley label. Uh, of course, the album didn't come out. But if you go on YouTube, you can probably find her video uh, for number one. And they're like all in the soundstage. I watched it recently. (laughs) (laughs) And she's like shout rapping and aggressively rapping. And it's amazing. And she shouts all right a bunch. That is the character trait that Prince gave her, which she just shouts all right. It's amazing. A lot. (laughs) But I like the, you know, again, the music isn't about necessarily um you know sex but it's empowerment she's like you're not gonna treat me bad i'm gonna be number one i'll be nothing at all and i'm gonna stand up for myself and you're not gonna let you roll over me and a lot of her songs were about that and i'm not sure if she wrote them or if prince did prince fault says that he did but you know it wouldn't be out of the ordinary you know writing for sheila and her empowerment songs sometimes Mm -hmm. or um later with you know the later proteges and stuff but Interesting. Even like in those early adventures in rap, it's still you're not working with samples, you're working with real musicians writing real music and you're <laughs> rapping over it. Right. And then I have to mention again, um, when we're talking about rap and especially women, Rosie during the new tour, uh, she drops in It Takes Two by Rob Bass and DJ Easy, and that's from nineteen eighty eight. So when they're doing Alphabet Street, she'll be like, Prince, let me rap in the T C Ellis style. <laughs> And then she starts to rap, um, I want to rock right now. I'm Rosie and I came to get down. It's so good because every time she starts, I'm like, yes, and I'm going to do this. Yeah. I love, I mean, it's funny because I always make fun of new tours. I'm like, I hate that tour. I hate his hair. I hate all that. But um, I like listening to those because it's like the Rosie and Prince show. Like the whole time she's featured a lot. She really is. Uh, It's really fantastic. She also, well, she also raps on um, Push and Jughead. Mm Mm-hmm. (laughs) <laughs> which both somehow made the cut. She uh, has a really good cadence and a really good voice. She does. She's an all-around badass. Mm-hmm. I am appreciative of all of her efforts. Also, not rap-related, but when she comes back on Jam in the Air, mm-hmm. <sighs> so good. Yeah. Anyway, we can get back to rap now. <laughs> yes, I think we both cycled on Jam in the Air this week. Or the past week. Or the past year. Who is to say? Honestly. <laughs> it's awesome. We should do a whole... Anyway. Um, so, T.C. Ellis. I know that there was a T.C. Ellis really long article going on. Um, I think you did into that, right? It's I did. I read the whole thing. Um, it's from 2013. And he talks... I mean, the main takeaway is that... Um, the bit in Graffiti Bridge, the like secondary or I guess tertiary plot line, if there is one at all, is that T.C. Ellis spends the whole time going, come on, kid, you got to let me rap. And Prince is like, no, the whole movie. And finally, at the very, very end, after half of the credits has rolled, T.C. Ellis is allowed to pump the big noise in the house. <laughs> so <laughs> he goes on to say that that's how it was in real life that he had played um, Rapper's Delight for Prince in the early 80s and Prince was like that's just a 
a fad. And so TC kept being like, no, 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 no. Let me rap. This is what's new in music. This is what's, it's it's not just a trend. And Prince was like, hard, no, hardline stance, no. And then finally by Graffiti Bridge, TC Ellis was like, oh, he finally let me rap, but it was too late because it had like moved on so far and Prince was late to the game. Um, so that was what TC Ellis had to say about it. Um, but I really like that he said that it mirrored real life. Mm. Like, literally, the credits are halfway done rolling, and it's showing Prince sitting at his computer with his NASA trackball. <laughs> 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 Working on Can't Stop This Feeling I Got. Uh, and then he lets uh, T.C. Ellis rap about... And that's the other thing. He's rap, he His rap is about, you must know failure before success. And he mm-hmm. raps about how down he was, and he found Jesus and... Uh, turned his life around. Right. So that's the kind of content that Prince wanted you to contribute. I was like, hey, everybody, Snoop just came out with a gospel rap album and it was because of T.C. Ellis. No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) 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 No, but I mean, yeah, that's really interesting because, you know, around that time we were talking about gangster rap was coming up, it was as a kind of protest of all the stuff that was happening right then. And everyone's like, what is this that's on the radio now that talking about people getting shot and police brutality and gang life. And it it had just never been that before because it used to be, I'm going to the store to get some pop. So, um, (laughs) family guy bit. (laughs) Right. Wipe your shoes. Somebody just clean that rug. I can't remember. But then here comes Prince. And and I like it because it's like some of the stuff that's on his albums does speak to that but a lot of times it also speaks to the solutions rather than just talking about the problem right and um or even just like we said empowerment with with women uh robin power stuff is stand up for yourself with the diamonds and pearls stuff it's like um mind your own business and worry um, about yourself let's not forget let's not forget Pussy Control. Oh, yeah. Yes, yes. Eric's favorite song. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. Also, and my current theme in life. But um, important to note that on the back of that, the Gold Nigga album. So I remember the first time I heard this, I was like, I did have a bias against Prince and Rap because I hadn't dug um, too deeply on it. So I went back I and like listened when you to Gold Nigga. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> And I think it's important. <laughs> it is. It's important because, like, a lot of stuff. I because I always we always complain about stuff in the fandom when people are complaining about stuff. And, and at first we agree until we start doing the research, and then we're like, oh, right. Nobody comes into the world knowing everything. Right. You have to, you know, it's like you're going to make some assumptions that are incorrect and have different tastes. And if you research it, you yeah. might change your mind. That's like my favorite do thing to work. do. That <laughs> like if I have a bias against something, I research it to see do I really know what I'm talking about type thing. But um. The Golden Nigga album, I remember the first time I heard it, and the first song started, and I remember I, I adopted the funk face, and I was like, oh, wow. It's this so is funky. Amazing. And it's like, dirt, not dirty funk, but it's like this groove that really just makes your face make the face. You know what it's I'm talking more, about. It's more raw than Prince's studio albums, which are very polished. I don't know. It's more fun and playful because it's not Prince, mm-hmm. even though it is all Prince. Yeah. He's on every song. Like, yeah. Very and I remember um, I laughed so hard at the black MF in the house. And what I'm saying MF because I don't. Hurt. Yeah. Yeah. So, OK. It's an interesting album. It's an interesting song because there's a whole thread through the album, which, by the way, I appreciate about the 90s albums where there's like a story. And that's why I love the Rainbow Children so much later because there's a story. But anyway. 
So the gold nugget story is that um, is NPG and they go to a club and the club doesn't usually welcome black people. And so they're like arguing outside and then like Prince adopts this, I guess, redneck white guy voice. And he's like, you can't come in here. And he's like calling him anywhere and all this other stuff. And so the whole song is kind of like NPG saying, hey, we deserve to be here also. And then there's like someone who adopts a white lady voice who's very country. And she's like, oh, <laughs> I want it. I, she's like, like making moves on Tony M and saying, cause she's really curious right. about what it's like to be with a black dude. And it's like this huge, like, what is happening? What am I listening to moment? And then it's talking about racism and, you know, all the biases and stuff. And at the end, everyone shouts, stop racism now. And so at the end of the song, you're like, what just happened? No, the first time I listened to Black Eyed in the House, I was like, this song bangs. This is awesome. And it I'm like is. jamming out in my car and then all, I have it at like top volume and then all of a sudden it's the entire band shouting, stop racism now. And I was like, what is happening? <laughs> and I was Prince. I mean, <laughs> it gives you to listen. Like, okay, all right. Yeah. But it, I mean, it's an interesting project because like the story continues in that vein throughout. There are a lot of segs and... um I know the Exodus album also has some stuff in there where he's like an Italian guy and they're in a restaurant and (laughs) he's like fake Prince is talking about this woman he dated and she ate up half the menu and then he's like cursing all throughout and made her work at the restaurant as a waitress or something. I'm like, I can see how some of this might not be approachable because it's less about... I mean, it's as much about the music, but also he's telling stories that might make people uncomfortable. It's also at like the height of his like 90s um, kind of storytelling ventures. Yeah. They kind of start with Graffiti Bridge and make their way through like like I'm talking about um, Three Chains of Gold and and The Mm -hmm. Undertaker Mm -hmm. and The Beautiful Experience where there's like a loose story and you might not catch it at first. And if you dig deep, you're like, oh, I see. Yeah. Like, I, I can put the pieces together. And there's so many. I can see how people just got overwhelmed with all the different things to listen to. Right. I get I get them confused all the time. And there is some overlap, too. Yeah. Like, there's some videos that are just, like, in both of them. And you're like, okay, now, which one is the one where Nona Gay is rocking back and forth under the computer? <laughs> Because Prince is haunting her from the computer screen. That was my favorite thing. I'm like, I relate to this so much. This is literally every okay, Friday of my life. Which is the one where I don't even know who it is, but she takes a bunch of pills, but then she and Prince yeah, are best friends. the Undertaker, and she says that she's going to commit suicide, and then she decides not to because she sat in on a Prince rehearsal, and it changed her life. Wait, is the best friend? This is a whole different show, but is the best friend one a different one? That's the... Oh, that's the love for one another special one, VH1. That's one. The love- yeah. Oh, my God. So many. And- <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Let's get back to rap. Sure. So, um, Gold Nigga. So, I, I do want to campaign for Gold Nigga, though, because in, um, it's just really funky. Like, besides... There also, are a lot of when stories they do that it important. Yes, yes, yes. Oh. They do it live. They do Johnny. He does uh-huh. Johnny live a lot. There's a lot of Glam Slam shows. If you seek out bootlegs of them, uh-huh. um, Johnny live is is really good. And yeah. they'll do Call the Law frequently. Um, and Together sometimes. Yeah. And uh, Together is a song where it is talking about, you know, violence in the community, but also solutions of how to fix it. And Johnny, I remember... <laughs> That's in, that's in the set list as long as 
jam of the year, I remember, because I was like, are we really okay? I think he does it up until Uncle Larry was like, gave him, gave him the down. stink over I don't know. I think, I think that was a good thing that he did at that point. We'll have to fact check that. Oh, and then other black MF in the house. I can't remember what after show it was, but I remember Prince distinctly saying, okay, white people, you can say it once. <laughs> I remember that one too, and I can't remember, but he's like, all right, you guys get one chance, and only because it's okay. After this, no more! <laughs> it, it was, I, again, I can see, like, how it might be not approachable, because, it, again, like, a lot of people would feel uncomfortable even seeing the title of that album, or even, you know, singing along to a lot of these songs, but... There's still the message there. The messages are still important as the ones, you know, that came before it or later. It's just a little more in your face than normal. Yeah. Well, I that's to, I think that to me, that's part of why he did it as the NPG, even though mm-hmm. he's on every song. Because Prince has, well, not only was Warner Brothers like, slow your roll mm-hmm. a little bit. But this was a way he could really do kind of whatever he wanted to express himself in that way without... Um, alienating the kind of mainstream fan base. Right, right. You know, it made it okay for him to take those risks. Right, and people like Tony M took the fall instead. (laughs) We're going to bring everything back to Tony M. Okay, so now, um, (laughs) next part, uh, while we're talking about these, are what I consider the Dawn era. So it's like, come the gold experience and... uh, Maybe like some of the Exodus stuff. Maybe it's crystal ball, kind of. Yeah, and um, since all that stuff was recorded around the same time, yeah, around the same time, yeah, slow overflow. I love this one bootleg called the Dawn. I think it's like three discs, and it um it chains sure all is. the it's songs three together. But they're so good <laughs> because it has a lot of alternate takes of these songs. Sometimes they'll have a main one, and then they'll have alternate ones like uh, the, the most beautiful girl. Of Come on there the is so good because mm-hmm. Come is not a song that you can just listen to in your car while you're driving because <laughs> you might just. Like, her off the road like the first time I played it for one of my friends when she was driving and she had to pull over she's like I'm sweating I'm hot what is he's doing yeah. something in the microphone that's yeah. really inappropriate and we're just in traffic yeah. and I can't function so the version on the dawn is a little funkier there's like it's it, mostly spoken it's, uh, it's mostly spoken and it's uh, more of a rap yeah. than like a really intensely sexual experience yeah and, and so, I, there's like <laughs> there's like put it on your, in your car and, and not um, except he does say the- maybe you can wrap your legs around my neck for a while we'll see if I can make you smile yeah but he doesn't make out with a microphone in that like really disconcerting way where you're like I shouldn't find this yeah <laughs> just pause a moment for that no yeah. just kidding <laughs> but the thing about the raps during this era they're a little more I don't want to say mature but better done or they integrate better into the songs they're more authentic to him Mm -hmm. and it's also i think it's mostly him rapping he doesn't uh i don't think tony appears anymore tc ellis for sure does not (laughs) or what did somebody say (laughs) prince is the best rapper of the prince rap related rappers it was zach friend of the podcast yeah Zach said Prince is the best rapper Prince worked with. What um we appreciate the song and acknowledge me very much. It has two reps. And um I remember thinking that song should have been on the radio. It's too long because it has like two reps and it's like six or seven minutes long. But I think it's one of his better reps. Um 
No, he spends like a full minute doing that, like wah wah yeah. voice. Well, I mean, the transitions yeah. between them are really good because he's like, the loop don't matter if the sample don't fit, and I'm just like, yes, and I'm just like grooving. But um, and then we have the Pope, and we have. I love that song so much. That was like an early childhood memory for me. <laughs> it was on the hits, and my it was one of the songs because like towards the end, like my mom would skip like sexy MF when I was a kid. Um, but like the Pope was fine, inexplicably. And I like how he just randomly put like computer stuff in there. Like, was he into oh, the computer music? plus save? Yeah. No, he loved sound effects. <laughs> like, um, <laughs> I'm not joking. Like, on walk, don't walk. <laughs> but it's like <laughs> the instrumentation is like car horns. <laughs> he loved a sound effect, especially in the '90s. Yeah, in the "I Hate You" extended where. It's like, I'll walk out the door, and then you hear a door closing. Yeah, that's one of my favorite things to do with Prince is listen to... It's really mostly the 90s stuff. All the little sound effects that are put in. And, like, Pussy Control is very Mm -hmm. literal in that way as well. Mm -hmm. Uh, And the computer, the Pope is the computer press tape. Beep! (laughs) (laughs) (sighs) Okay, and then um, we have... Creepy songs like 18 and Over, which had an accompanying video. (laughs) And you just get a lot of stuff in that. And yeah, but that. I don't know. Yeah. My takeaway from that video is that Maite is wearing like character shoes like you would wear to like a dance class. So I appreciated her in that video. I'm like, I'm like, bravo, Maite. Bravo. Honestly. But yeah, I just really love this era of his music because the rapping really matured in a great way that worked for him extremely well. And um, well, he's a lyricist yeah. on his own. And he has a great vocabulary as well, which mm-hmm. I appreciate. Mm-hmm. And it, I mean, that's really kind of the build the <laughs> building blocks. Yeah. So I feel like he was really successful. And yeah, I mean, the, the mid-90s, he really kind of found his found a good style that worked for him that wasn't necessarily like rap as we know it today, but it is Prince rap, Mm -hmm. (laughs) I Mm -hmm. guess. Uh, Like face down. Yeah. Can we talk about face down? (sighs) Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) You know what my favorite part of that song is though? That it's not, uh, it's not even a rap part. It's right at the beginning where you can hear him do like a really authentic laugh. And it's like, like, it's not, he's not put on or anything. He just laughs really hard right in the beginning. And I'm like, oh. I mean, honestly, I'm not sure that I would. I like the message of the song. I know all the words. I would argue that it's not his best rap song, though. I don't think it's his best song. I just said I like it a lot. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Especially, like, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I don't I, know. I think it works better when it's, like, over the bridge sometimes. yeah. Um, that is another thing that I noticed, like, content-wise, is mm-hmm. that um, he tends to rap about, like, positive things or, like, in, like, typical Prince fashion, like, sex and that kind of, and those kind of things. But, like, when he gets really nasty and vicious, it's always about Warner Brothers and record labels. Mm-hmm. Like, that's, like, the meanest he'll ever be in any song. It's never really about a person or, well... No, I hate you is because I hate you because I love you. Mm-hmm. Um, but um, he is the most like 
vitriol is, is directed at Warner Brothers. And mm-hmm. I just, I enjoy that. Yeah. A lot. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I guess we're in the Emancipation New Power Soul thing since we started uh, Face Down. And then we have the Come On remix, which is interesting. That's on New Power Soul. And so he has a That's he starts got it, real loose with the lyrics. Yeah, but I like it. So it starts out with a rap. And I remember the part that just made me like, why are you like this? He's like, Shaka Khan <laughs> on the treble, Larry G on the bass, making mozzarella while the haters make waste. And I was just like, who's specific? <laughs> mozzarella. Because And this is also cheesy, but I don't mind it for some reason. Right. And I think that video is on YouTube, by the way. You should all yeah, look it up. Yeah. He's wearing like a purple Santa outfit and it's on, what is it, on Leno or Letterman? One of them. But it was a special time. Yeah. And he's got the ponytails. So if you're into ponytails, many of them. Yeah. And, and also the face down on, um, I want to say, Chris Rock's show, which I wasn't even. Oh, yeah. Yeah. He does it full out and there's a part where they're all on their backs playing their instruments or rapping and oh no they're face down <laughs> oh <laughs> yeah that too and then there's um there's a little michael jackson moment and it's just like just what is happening but anyway visit that uh let's move forward <laughs> in the timeline we're, we're around as far as when things are recorded versus when they come out the slaughterhouse and the chocolate invasion albums Yeah. There's some, you know what? There's some really good songs on there. I, the first time, cause we did, we did together. We did like an album listener and I hadn't heard those. Uh-huh. Um, and I kind of skipped over them and it was like the end of the nineties. There's just so much content coming out. And I was like, Oh my God. I'm just kind of like made my way through. But if you go back, there's some that are really good. Yeah. Um, like uh, the Daisy chain is I really love good. Daisy chain. So good. And then, um, I, I like sex me, sex me not. Uh huh. I, I, we have um, to, you know, note the funky bald heads. Bald heads? Uh, I had a friend who's actually hung out at Paisley a lot during that time, and he showed me a video of when they were opening for Prince on the Hit and Run tour. So it's, again, the model of full band with rappers at the front of it, and the guy who's in the Daisy Chain video is in that group too. And Prince would come out and sing the chorus with them while they were rapping and then go backstage. But um, the... I actually think that the the guy who wrote the Daisy Chain rap is the person who... It wasn't Prince that time, so it wasn't his verse. But I still think they did a good job with that song. It's a really funky song. Yeah. I really appreciate that. Yeah. But then we have songs like Sex Me, Sex Me Not. Right, which is the... It starts out with Leave Your Sister in Your Underwear at Home. And I'm like, you are a full-on married man. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, and it's it's funny because these two albums actually came out the same day, I think, via NPG Music Club as Musicology. So it's like, okay, so at this point, like before, when you're doing these songs, you hadn't converted yet all the way. But 2004, right. you're fully married, you're fully JW, He's but... fully baptized. You thought it would be a good idea to put these two albums out with these kind of songs on it. Okay. it's a little bit... It, it's kind of the same thing as the as um the nineties when it's like I'll do the thing for that's the commercial release yeah. and I'm gonna do the side thing for yeah. for the deep fans. Right. Here's some here's some 
really salacious raps I've done right. in my time. Because I think a lot of them <laughs> were already out at some point via the NPG yeah, audio shows and they were NPG compilations. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. But um, interesting nonetheless. And then we have to talk about, because a lot of people are saying, actually, I was listening to a Maite interview that she did in France the last couple of, I think maybe last month. And she mentioned that mm-hmm. Prince listened to rap all the time. And he was a fan of certain people. And you can see it in some of the after shows. You see like Q-Tip or Common. Dougie Fresh was on tour with them for the New Power Soul tour. Uh, Most Most Def was on there. And then... um, I I want to mention my favorite Prince thing. Is that it's also from the Wax Poetic interview. And it's with uh, Mike Koppelman. And he says that nobody ever... Like, nobody ever saw Prince actually listening to music. So they don't know, like, when he did that or how he heard stuff. But at some point, he heard everybody dance now and he loved that song and it had a huge influence on him and i'm like same prince right so you and me both and so there's a version <laughs> of he, prince does a version of everybody dance now matched up with sexy and math and it's i think it comes out around 2006 or so he plays it over the pa yes. during one of his shows and it's just like yeah it's like the versace or something what is this because it's not yeah, even it's like like what twenty years later, you know it'd be a cool. <laughs> <laughs> but he does it because he's not saying um, the f part, the yeah. sexy mf. Yeah. So it's a um, bam, 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 bam. and then he goes, everybody dance now. <laughs> and I can only imagine the crowd reaction. I actually was looking it up, and I found a thread on the org, and everyone was like, from like two thousand seven, and they were like. Why? <laughs> but I love it. <laughs> Why not? I love going back to read like old org threads, at, like in real time, like yeah. as stuff was coming out and stuff was happening because it's so people are like, it's a lot of like, why? <laughs> <laughs> Speaking of why reactions that people have, not to say that I agree, but you also have the later, you know, experiments in rap with curly fries who she was actually on, she did the Breakfast Can Wait video, Danielle Curell, but they also did some rapping on some of the later albums. And then Prince actually sampled Mila J, who's Janae Aiko's older sister on You Know. She actually has a song and he sampled like the entire song as far as the musicality of You Know. You should check that out. And then... so much. Yeah. And then Rita Ora, of course, (laughs) on Ain't About to Stop. Uh, and then you have like Prince and the Band that's there from what musicology until 2011 or something. He, uh, I was listening to Nagoya 89 and there was a Prince and the Band on it. It wasn't pr- as we know it, but it was like a Prince and it was like a little uh, kind of seg. So it's been cooking in his little <laughs> brain since the 80s. <laughs> uh, but no, he started doing it at like one night alone, didn't he? Mm. Well, we know he stopped to give a PowerPoint presentation yeah. on why Abraham Lincoln was a racist. Yeah, he did. And sometimes <laughs> your local radio stations. Okay, but I did want to point out the Mila J song is called um, Blinded, and it came out in 2012, and then Prince sampled it for You Know on Artificial Age, if you guys want to check that out. Yeah, complete sidebar, please check out all of Artificial Age. I am not a really intensely spiritual person, but that album makes me cry and I can't listen to it all the time because it's so beautiful and so intense Mm. and I highly recommend it and it's on Spotify it's on Apple Music it's everywhere there's no excuse (laughs) yeah and 
it's on of course uh, everything's on title yes so, yes or most things. go have a really intensely emotional experience listening to that album yeah okay so we <laughs> sped through a lot of things but um i hope we kind of pointed out some songs for you guys to really dig into but erica what's what's kind of like your wrap-up take on prince and rap wrap up um, yes well, I just really feel that, I mean, he was at his best when he kind of found his own style of rapping. Um, like, My Name is Prince, maybe not a strong suit, you know. Uh, but once he found his whole thing, he's just such a good lyricist that he was able to, uh, I don't know, just put together a really good catalog of <laughs> of him rapping. I think he did a really I think he did. He was really authentic to him and his style when he chose to incorporate it, whether it was him or somebody he brought in. Right. <laughs> and um, I mean, for me, like I said, because we're, we're a little bit younger than most Prince fans and um, we kind of have a different take on him because we missed the height of the Purple Rain time and because we were all really young right then. But to pick him up in the 90s where we didn't have the expectations of what he was supposed to sound like based on what he was before, for me, I tend to take whatever era I'm listening to Prince as that era and not necessarily comparing it to anything else on the radio or anything else that he's done. And then... Yeah. Um, just I mean, like, for for me, like, just to expand on that, I didn't mean to interrupt you, interrupt you but um, to expand on that, like, uh, for me, I mentioned on our you know, first podcast, my introduction was like my mom playing stuff for me and like one album that we had in constant rotation was the hits. And so like by that point, like Sexy MF is on there. Pope is on there. A lot of his 90s stuff is on there. And at that point, he had changed his sound so many times that it was like, oh, this is just another change. You know, in the early 80s, he had like kind of a new wave thing. And then there was like the more rock and roll style of Purple Rain and then, you know, the raw funk of Sign of the Times. And so it had just grown. He had changed his style so many times that it, it didn't seem out of the ordinary for him to have gone a completely different direction because that was kind of how his career had gone. So we were kind of presented with it in that package and there were no expectations of, you know, oh, well, he doesn't sound like he used to. Because, right. like, we didn't experience it in real time. <laughs> like, it was already a full, complete package. Like, oh, here, here's, you know, Prince's career up to this point. And it was really expansive. Right, right. And so um, I guess the only thing that I would have an expectation on, because he is a good lyricist and is very good at conveying emotions and what people feel, um, that was still there and the music that I was listening to in the 90s and later is sometimes even deeper as he went through more things and matured um, himself. And then you have, uh, especially when it comes to rap, the definition of rap, you have like an MC who can control a cloud. You have uh, things based on samples. His stuff, not so much, but it was more real music. And then you have like the hip hop part, the style, the dance, the break dancing. And I think that all of that was there. And it's interesting that Prince didn't necessarily translate when it came to, you know, emulating some of that or taking on some of those, um, the methodology of hip hop and rap. But then another thing that you hear is that, you know, Prince changed in the 90s. It was like more masculine and more urban. And it's interesting because if you listen to a lot of the rehearsals 
or sound checks and things, even from the early, even really back from the 79 days, that prince that you hear in the 90s is the prince that was behind the scenes. Like, right, had, it's all part of him. Right. So you had like, <laughs> he was saying the N-word a lot. He was cursing a lot, maybe snapping on people. Yes, Bonnie and him did a lot of uh, your mama jokes during Love Sexy. Mm-hmm. And then the perception that there weren't as many women around. Like, you had Diamond and Pearl and Maite and Rosie on the Diamonds and Pearls tour. And then you had the Hornheads had women in them, too. It's like they were around. It, it's just a different kind of look to it. Um, and, and they even had, like, really inappropriate stuff that he would say. Even back in the 70s, there's... I can't remember if it's the Controversy Tour or the Prince Tour, but he's like... Something you would not expect <laughs> Prince to say, but something that he said during a concert. And I remember listening to the audience reaction. They're like silent. <laughs> I like that that stuck with wait, you. Wait, what? You're like, wow, problematic even in the 80s. Yeah. <laughs> but but it's it's kind of, right, it, it's just interesting that when some of that, I, I don't know, there's, there's no real knowing of what the real prince was, but some of that prince that was more behind the scenes in the 80s came to the forefront in the 90s, and it became less approachable, I suppose. And it's kind of interesting that that time from about maybe a little bit into 1999 to new tour, it was a very specific type of perception that he had that he presented and projected out that people could attach to. And then when the other stuff kind of started to come to the forefront, it wasn't that it wasn't him or it just seemed unrecognizable to people because that was under the radar before he wasn't, you know, Right. Um, I mean, like in the revolution, he had Wendy and Lisa and the man. He, he had, it was very calculated and very curated um, a whole experience from the music that he was playing to the way that he chose people to be in his band. Right. And the way that they were in public and how they were supposed to present themselves. All of that changed. Right. And then in the 90s, it was like it was men and it was a lot of black men, except for Tommy, really. Mm-hmm. And I, you know. There's a shift. But (laughs) the music itself, the themes changed. Honestly, I I do have to say that some of the the songs were a little more on trend for what was popular at the time. But it doesn't necessarily make it less musical. Um, The the things that were... The things that I think held back the 90s prints, especially when it came to rap, is that the best songs were never on the radio. And I think Steven makes comments about that, that he wanted you to buy the album and that things that were on the radio were supposed to direct you to dig more into the album because the album is important, not just one particular song. And so if you saw all that was happening, you saw the slave stuff happening, you you weren't, you know, you didn't have a ton of time to dig into it like you were in the 80s and you're a teenager or in college. Now the 90s come, you're like a full-on adult, and he's putting out <laughs> albums like every other week. So it's kind of like, okay, well, let me just pick up the hits and... Oh, uh, what's happening now? What what's his slave stuff? Why is he like right. passing out on David Letterman? Why is he being dragged off? What is happening? Prince is weird. But right. 
while all that was happening, there was really good music happening (laughs) in the background too, but it just kind of required you to, you know, still pick up that album and push through. Um, And back to Diamonds and Pearls, um, it was, and that being kind of different, it reminds me of, there's another story, I think it was Levi, there was an interview um, where they were talking about how when he gave Diamonds and Pearls to Warner Brothers, they were like, there's not a single here. There's like, there's not a single. What, what can you do? And he was like, you want a single? I'll write a single. And then he wrote Cream. Yeah. <laughs> like in a day and gave it to him was like, I can still write hits. But it's kind of like Diamonds and Pearls was doing what he really wanted to be doing. Right. And he kind of stopped caring about maintaining that image of Purple Rain and catering to the general public. He was like, I'm going to do what I want to do with the musicians that I want to do it with. And I'm going to sound like what I want to sound like. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, Warner Brothers was like, well, we can't work. We just that. signed you for this crazy yeah. contract. <laughs> like the biggest one in history. You have to give us at least one single. <laughs> and then he wrote it out himself. And how great he is. Well, he wrote Cream. And oh, then right, right. Cream is about himself and how great he is. So yeah, yeah. chalk that up to another thing I love about Prince. And it, there was an article, I think, in Blackbeat where the interview was interviewing him. And they were questioning him on why it sounded so different. And he, Prince was like really irritated. He was like, I'm not going to write Purple Rain again. I've moved on for that. And he like got up from the table and sat at a different table by himself. And the interviewer was like, oh, well, I guess it's over. And <laughs> he said something about his management looking nervous in the background. But it, it, it's kind of like there's this thing in the fandom where they really want him to be what they're used to, kind of to remind them, you know, like the good old days. And not to say, not to yeah. say, you know, but... There, there's a nostalgia component that kind of kept him hindered sometimes. And when he always tried to move on, a lot of people said, well, this sucks because it doesn't sound like what he used to sound like. But you also have to allow the artist to grow and find themselves in different, you know, sounds and to develop as an artist to explore different ideas and things. And for me, I appreciate the 90s a lot because I, it's weird for me to hear that people fell off or they didn't think he was good in the 90s cuz that's the time I remember the most because he was on all like he was on the Soul Train awards all the time, he was on BT all the time. Like yeah, he was very visible. Yeah, he was everywhere. And so and and it wasn't the I didn't perceive him to be strange at the time. I was just like, "Oh yeah, that's friends." And we understood it. And there's this thing where I think uh to have a Smiley interview where he says, "Some people call me Prince and I don't mind it." But it depends on who you are. <laughs> but um, it because Prince was like part of the family and it wasn't strange to see him doing what he was doing because we understood because especially in black music, it's been a huge thing for decades even where they take advantage of the artist and um, you lose your masters. You um, they redo the songs. Yeah, they redo the songs like a white artist would redo the songs and not give royalties to the original artist it's like mm-hmm. it, there's there's a huge historical component to what he was doing in the 90s that I'm not sure people understand and so like in at the time a lot of people thought it was strange and if you didn't understand that history too, yeah was a big it, it I don't know how to word this correctly but it was it was very important and it also there were a lot of like 
I, I read a whole thing about like uh, white people talking about how stupid it is that he changed his name. It's like, no, there's a lot of like racial connotations that go with it. And him writing slave on his face, it's deeper than just some eccentric guy just like, I'm going to go buy this now. It's like it's all related to the owning your masters and, you know, kind of him being in charge of him and mm-hmm. and that whole that whole issue that really like plagued him for uh, several years. Yeah. It's like, everybody wants me to be this thing that I haven't been in a long time. And I feel like I'm a slave to expectations and people aren't allowing me to be who I want to be and grow in the way that I want to grow. And I think more, some, it was WB, it was expectations of fans. It was a lot. And I it was, Yeah. There was actually one specific quote, I think it's in the slave trade documentary, where it was somebody from the record label has said, like, he was he was talking about the gold experience or the dawn, whatever it was at the time, whatever stage it was in. They were talking about that. And, you know, the executive or whatever was like, wow, I can't wait to see what you what you give us, what you cook up for this, this us this time. And he was like he wasn't even done with the album. And he said he felt like they owned his thoughts. Mm-hmm. And it was like, that was it for him. Yeah. He was like, you can't own my thoughts. <laughs> and I get it. And I was like, I heard that and I was like, all of this suddenly makes sense. Yeah. And it was just put into perspective in a way that I hadn't really thought about before. Like, I knew it was really important and, and I understood a lot of it. But that quote was like, I get it. OK, yeah, I, I get why this is such a big deal and all consuming for him until he was able to kind of to get out of that and then finally like breathe for the first time and be like, I'm free to create without somebody taking it from me. And so I'm going to make this three disc expansive collection of whatever I want to do. Dad jams. <laughs> whatever I find. I love Mr. Hey, hey, Mr. Happy's here. <laughs> <laughs> Which will be a discussion for another day. But, um, <laughs> I hope we shed some light on 90s P and also 90s or not 90s Prince rapping and that you'll go back and take a closer listen, especially to the things that you're totally dismissed. Um, I know for me, I find that for the songs I don't prefer musically, I like the lyrics a lot or sometimes I don't like the lyrics a lot and I like the music a lot. There's I would try to find not to say that everything Prince does is good, but it's interesting how the songs grow on you after oh. you spend time with them. Yeah, it, it's really true. And I've, I've found this with him my whole life. Like I'll hear a song and all the hits I immediately like because they're hits. There's, you know, he made them to be the singles. That is one thing. But then there's like, like if I listen to a whole album, I would like listen, I especially like when we did, you know, our listen through together, I would listen to a whole album and then like later in the day, be like, what's that one song? And like be seeing it and like need to go back. And then like a week later, wind up obsessed with some like deep cut of a song or like I heard my, my phone was randomly shuffling all my entire library the other day and it played um, email from emancipation mm-hmm. It's and I was like, oh, my God, this song is ridiculous. And then for four days, I had www <laughs> email in my head for four full days. And I was like, now I have to listen to all of Emancipation pieces just stuck there. And I had such a deeper appreciation for it. Yeah. But that has happened to me with like every album. And it's one of the things that like it makes it so hard 
to not be completely obsessed. Yeah. Or it makes it hard to say, you know, when people say, oh, he didn't do anything good after 88 or, oh, I don't like that album. Like, I, there's not an album that I straight up don't like, even though I talk about Batman a lot. Is that? But there's still <laughs> something on each album, really, because I'll say that I don't like the rave album. And at the same time, like, like at least seven of the songs on there. So there's there's not liking it, and then there's not liking it according to Prince, which just means you don't prefer it, but you still listen to most of the right. songs. So right. I would challenge like, people. Bridge, I'm like forever yeah. like, I hate that album. I never want to listen to it. And then meanwhile, I'm like, I have the latest fashion on repeat. <sighs> inexplicably because that is the strangest song on that album but yeah. like and then i'm like oh right joy and reputations on there oh and question of you yeah. one of my favorite songs like oh right so i i don't i don't dislike that album yeah. i actually like that album mm-hmm. <laughs> and it's like that forever for all of them yeah but yeah like you were saying it's Just- there's preferences and but none of it's like you know maybe Maybe Emancipation isn't as strong as, you know, 1999 or <laughs> whatever to some people. But yeah, if you spend time with it, it's like, oh, this is this album is full of bangers. <laughs> mm-hmm. and, and definitely try it. The some out of print stuff might be a little harder to find. I think oh, it's all on YouTube, not to out anybody, but like if I want to hear a song right away and my slow ass computer won't boot up, I'm like YouTube emancipation. Oh, the full three disc album. <laughs> Don't mind if I do, but definitely <laughs> recommend, especially the little nigga album, the Exodus album, uh, new power soul, which by the way is turning 20 in a few days. Um, and then revisit, some of the reps on Diamonds and Pearls or uh, the Symbol album. And I think you might find that maybe they weren't so bad after all. Or at least consider it in print, but not, you know, with the extra stuff that comes around it with your expectations. Just take away your expectation and give it a shot. <laughs> okay, so Erica, where can they find you on the internet? Um, you can find me on Instagram. I'm Erica Strada, E-R-I-K-A-S-T-R-A-D-A. And then on Twitter, it's that with two zeros at the end. Okay. And Should I say my Tumblr? Oh, yeah, yeah, definitely do that. <laughs> oh, my Tumblr is the-beautiful-one, and the one is a number one because Prince. Okay. And <laughs> I am Darling Nisi. Um, you can find me on Twitter at Darling Lisi as well as Tumblr. And we are a subset of the Prince podcast by Michael Dean. Thanks to him for allowing us to do this. Hope you guys have a great day. Bye.